Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, January 3rd, 2014. We're going to change up our format a little bit today. It's a short week coming back from the uh, Christmas and uh, New Year's holiday. And I want to do something a little bit different. Although I got to say up front... This is not a sermon cage fight. (laughs) Uh, A what? Yeah, if you've listened to Fighting for the Faith for a while, you know what that is. But uh, this is not that. Just want to tell you. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Unfortunately, there is no shortage of really bizarre things that are being said about God in churches that call themselves Christian churches. In fact, you're going to get an earful of that today. Um, And so, in fact, we're going to dive right into it because it's going to take us a little bit of time to get this all done. So let me tell you what our altered format is for today. And again, this is not a sermon cage fight. Um, But what we're going to do is we're going to spend the entire program listening to two sermons, okay? And uh, I'm going to actually review them both. One, it falls into the extremely ugly category uh, coming from a charismatic Pentecostal church preached by a woman. Um, The Bible, I don't even think it's opened. It might... (laughs) Kinda, but uh, the the bulk of the sermon, if you can really even call it that, is this woman preaching uh, a direct revelation and exegeting a direct revelation she claims to have received from God. And it's just absolute patent nonsense, absolute abject bizarro kind of stuff. But unfortunately, what you're going to hear is the type of stuff that you would hear in a lot of churches in evangelicalism that call themselves charismatic. The second sermon comes to us from a man who is a uh, avid listener to Fighting for the Faith, uh, and uh, he is a missionary pastor in Thailand. His name is uh, Corey Klein, and a while back he asked me to listen to a couple of his sermons. And we're going to be listening to a sermon, an exegetical sermon on the Word of God from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And the sermon is brilliant. It's 
absolutely brilliant. It has all of the hallmarks of a good sermon, and I'll I'll actually going to take time to walk through it and explain why this is such a good sermon. So um, that's how we're going to spend our program today. We will have our normal breaks at the bottom of the hour and the top of the hour. So it's going to be uh, a little bit uh, weird as far as the fact that there will be breaks in there. And and again, the idea here is to contrast. And sometimes, you know, let, let, let me just put it this way. Sometimes you hear a good sermon and you're not exactly sure what makes it so good. Um, this is not going to be one of those times because after hearing the completely awful, terrible, ridiculous, bad sermon, uh, you're, you're going to be dying, you know, at the end of that to hear something lucid, to hear something that's actually from the God of the Bible. And so the, the contrast will not, I don't think it's possible for the contrast to be starker. So, um, all I can say is, Buckle up. Um, you know, in fact, I, I think I probably should play our standard warning uh, for the first sermon that you're going to hear. And I, I will actually play our sermon review music for both sermons. So, again, modified format today, short week, but I think this is a, a, a uh, an episode worth slogging through, especially f- uh, through the bad sermon. And then... Uh, and then the payoff will be at the uh, it, you know once we're bat through the bad sermon, we'll be able to hear a great sermon. You know, gr- good exegesis. The uh, Corey Klein has done his homework. Um, he you know he, he clearly is able to work in the biblical languages, and uh, you're going to hear you know him exegeting the parable of the uh, workers in the in the vineyard. You know, uh, and it's and you're going to hear some stuff you may have never known about that particular parable. And so, you know, let's just say it's it's actually very good, worth waiting for. But since uh, in order to get there, we first have to go through the bad sermon, let me do this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been warned. Hey, oh. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Daystar Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Monica Mitchell presiding. The name of the sermon that we'll be listening to first is entitled Releasing the Dreamer in You. And it's based upon a direct revelation that Monica claims to have received directly from the Almighty God Himself, uh, from the God of the Bible. And uh, there is, as we're listening to this thing that's supposedly a sermon, let me just kind of put it out there and uh, and say 
what evidence can you find in this sermon that Monica Mitchell is actually hearing anything from the real God, from the actual God who inspired the authors of the Bible? Um, I couldn't find any evidence that she was actually hearing from the God of the Bible, so I'm convinced that she wasn't. So, without any further ado, let me go ahead and kill the music. Here is Monica Mitchell and her sermon entitled, Releasing the Dreamer in You. Like I said, you have been warned. Here we go. Hey, man, that was an awesome welcome. You, you guys do that again. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for coming out today. I know the closer we get to the holidays, the busier we get with families and family obligations, and it's awesome to see all your faces. And so I am excited. I wanted to share today. Now, I, I, I want to interject here, just so you know the date of this sermon. This was preached the Sunday before Christmas, Christmas being on Wednesday this year. This was immediately before Christmas, just to kind of get the timing right. Here we go. Last week for Daystar... And also a word he gave me for myself. And I have to say that... All right, got to back it up. See, I interrupted at the wrong spot. Okay, backing this up just a smidge because I want you to hear, you know, what it is she's preaching on. Here we go. Holidays, the busier we get with families and family obligations, and it's awesome to see all your faces. And so I am excited. I wanted to share today a word God gave me last week for Daystar. And also a word he gave me for myself. And I have to say that initially when I got the word, I was really excited. And then I was remembering the word God gave me last year. And it was a good word when I got it. But you know, when you get a word, you never really know what it's going to look like and how it plays out. Well, last year or this year has been a tremendous year of shifting and changing, not just church-wise, but just personal also. And so, uh, you know, when I got the word initially, it just seemed so exciting. Um, And then over the course of, you know, the last 12 months, it's been interesting to see how God has worked that word out. But when I got this word, I was almost reluctant to, (laughs) like, Lord, do I want to to go to to deliver another word for 2014? And um, because it was challenging me personally also. Um, So the word of God, it's a really short word that I'm going to share, but the word I got was, um, the Lord said that this is a year or 2014 is a year that he is going to teach us how to love fiercely. And that he said he was igniting the dreamer in us. Hmm. Okay. So this woman, um, is claiming some type of uh, prophetic office to be able to receive, be receiving direct revelation from God. And uh, notice she's going to be preaching according to herself, um, you know, based upon this supposed direct revelation that she received from God, that 2014, for the folks at Daystar in Atlanta, Georgia, they're going to learn how to love fiercely, and God's going to ignite the dreamer within them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear the word ignite in uh, in conjunction with somebody who I'm convinced is a false prophet, and the only thing that can come to my mind are the fires of hell, you know, that kind of ignition, if you would. Now, again, I ask the question, why on earth should I believe that this woman has received 
direct revelation from God about learning how to love fiercely and igniting dreamers. Hmm? Um, well, number one, the Bible forbids women to be um, doing what she's doing, uh, to be preaching and teaching to men. The scriptures are very clear on this, that a woman is not to be doing what she is doing. So that already, in my mind, makes her completely disqualified to actually be receiving a direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. And I am, let's say, beyond skeptical that God is actually speaking to her. And as the sermon is going to progress, um, you're going to see for yourself that it, you know, what she claims is the voice of God speaking in her head probably may be some kind of um, mental condition or maybe even demonic. Yeah, I, I wish I was making that up, but we continue. That's, that was my response. <laughs> I said, yes, that's good. And then there was a part of my heart that said, uh, oh, do I want that? That's kind of scary. What does that look like? And, uh, you know, dreaming does require stepping out of your comfort zone. But then anything God calls us to do call, uh, challenges us to step out of our comfort zone. And so I was really kind of asking the Lord over the last couple of days. Now, I, I got to stop there. Um, notice that there's some kind of parallel to that really awful sermon that we reviewed yesterday about the, oh, the importance of stepping out of your comfort zone. Hmm. Weird. Um, this is the, uh, you know, it's kind of the same theme going on here. Um, but it's not biblical. The Bible doesn't teach this. Where is this coming from? Um, is this coming from this own woman's head? Or is this coming from the demonic realm? We continue. Am I being challenged by you giving me a word that you are about to release the dreamer in me? And the Lord took me back to 15 years ago before I moved to Atlanta. I lived in Louisiana. And I came here actually just for the holidays. I came in November and I was supposed to leave in January because I was about to be a part of um, a program that opened up a healing house. And so for lack of a better word, it was probably going to something like a Sozo house. And so I was excited. Um, it had been months in preparation. What's a Sozo house? That's bizarre. We continue. Moran and I was waiting by the phone for my pastor to call. Are we ready? Is it starting? And I just kept getting wait, wait, wait. I was running out of money. And I said, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, get a job. And that was not the answer I was waiting for, especially since I had invested years of my life in this church, praying for just pounding heaven for a healing ministry to open up pressing my pastor who didn't necessarily believe inner healing was needed at that time. And just when the door was about to open, God brought me here. So it's very typical of God, isn't it? You get the prophetic word and your life goes the exact opposite. And the area I was actually working in was not even inner healing. And so years go by and the dream dies and the dream dies. And then, of course, we have Sozo. You keep using that word Sozo. I don't think you know what it means. 
It's the Greek word for save, to save. You know, Christ saves us, salvation, you know, that kind of thing. It's the Greek verb sozo, okay? Um, so, um, yeah, I just, I, mm. I don't think she knows what that word means, but we continue. When I get the word that he's about to rework in the dreamer and this experience comes back to me, I was a little confused about why it was bothering me. Especially since God fulfilled his promise. He did what he said he was going to do. But what I realize is whenever we experience disappointments, there's a part of our heart kind of pulls back a little bit because we want to protect that part. And if you've ever gotten words about God using you in ministry or if you've gotten words about business or something that you feel passionate about and God seems to close the door on it, there's a part of your heart that closes off to it. And even though I was excited about Sozo ministry and moving into it, I did not realize that that, that <laughs> excited about Sozo ministry. Again, she keeps using that word, but I do not think it means what she thinks it means. You know, kind of using the princess bride uh, line here. Hmm. My heart was still kind of closed because the fear of what if I put all my hope into this thing and, it, and it's not you. What if I'm not really hearing you clearly? Don't we? Doesn't that happen when we hear words? We hear it for other people, and it's strong and it's resounding. We hear it for ourselves, and it sounds like a little church mouse. <laughs> it's like God was that you? And so, over the last couple of days, as I've prayed about it, it's gotten stronger and stronger. And so, I really had to um, a couple. Of- so she she wasn't sure if this word from the Lord was really from the Lord, but it, don't worry, she prayed about it, and it got stronger and stronger. Um, What does that sentence mean? What got stronger and stronger? Some weird existential feeling she was having? Again, why should I believe this woman is hearing directly from God the Holy Spirit? What, you know, evidence can you point me to that this woman understands sound biblical doctrine, is a, you know, understands the gospel, really uh, has a high value for the written word of God. So far, I'm uh, seeing that she does not have any kind of high value for the written word of God because of the fact that she's even standing up there preaching. But she's not preaching the written word of God. She's supposedly exegeting um, some direct revelation that she supposedly received from God and that she wasn't even sure if it really was from God, but then she prayed about it and it got stronger. And this whole thing is really, really convoluted and backwards. What's the point of having a Bible if you're not going to preach it? What's the point of actually saying you believe God's word, you know, the Bible to be God's word, if you don't actually, well, do what it says? And what I mean by that is she shouldn't be even preaching. But we continue. I had to just lay out and say, okay, I realize that part of my heart is still closed, and I'm afraid to dream. And I'm afraid to step out in what I feel passionate about. Uh, you're, uh, huh? Oh, no. Oh, she's afraid to dream. Oh, this is, I'm sure this is some kind of blockage in her spiritual growth. And so I really let the Lord minister to me in that area. Um, just the, the years of waiting for something. I know you've all experienced it. When you wait for something, you wait for something. And even when God answers the prayer, sometimes it's not quite the way you expected him to answer it. Yeah, you've all experienced that. 
And so I really felt like the Lord wanted to minister today that place that we've closed off because of the years of waiting or the fear of stepping out because we're afraid that we're going to be disappointed or we're afraid that God's not going to show up like he said that he was going to show up. I know you're all familiar with the story of Matthew 25. Where that's the story of the, um, the wealthy landowner. He gives talents to three. <clears throat> he, gives, he gives one, five talents. He gives the second, three talents. He gives the third, one talent. Now, don't think this is an exegetical sermon at this point. She's only referencing the story. She's not actually ha- having us open our Bibles and read it and, so that she can correctly teach us what it says, which she shouldn't be doing anyway. But we continue. It's the last one that I want to look at. Um, I always say, poor guy, I wonder if he ever knew that his life would be immortalized in that scripture. It's the one guy who, who, was, who said, I knew that you were a hard man. Um, it's a parable. Um, there's no reason to, to believe that it's an actual historical story. It was a parable to make us a point regarding the kingdom of God and eschatology in the end of the world and the day of judgment. <laughs> but that's what we think. Okay, you know, I got to back this up just a little bit because uh there's some creepy things in this sermon that uh happen and one of them is her laugh. I mean, her laugh sounds like either a crazy person or a possessed person. Listen again. The one guy who who was who said I knew that you were a hard man. <laughs> but that's what we think. We think God's a hard man. And I really believe God is wanting to heal that place so that we can love him and trust him with our whole hearts. Mm, heal that place. What place? I, what are you talking about? You're not even making any sense. And what does that have to do with the parable of the talents? And not be afraid of the disappointment. And not be afraid of the fear. The only way to deal with fear is to walk right into it. You look at it, you hold on to the Lord, and you walk right into it. I was watching um, Karate Kid yesterday, for the, and I seen it for the first time, the new one. And I'd missed the whole episode. I think I just saw the last 30 minutes. And-, and now you're talking about the new Karate Kid movie. What does that have to do with sound biblical doctrine and what God has revealed in his word? I was just struck at how tiny this little guy is. He's being beat up on. And he's in the locker room, and I think his coach is wanting him to quit because he'd been beat up. And he said, it's not time. And when the coach said, how do you know? He said, because I'm still afraid. And that was such a confirmation for me because because what he needed to do is he needed to walk right into the face of the very thing he was afraid of. Um, So watching the new Karate Kid movie and seeing that portion of the movie – provided confirmation for you that that word about loving fearlessly aggressively and and igniting the dreamer in you was actually from the lord so the karate kid movie provided you this um <clears throat> confirmation by the way but this is uh, this is a form of trying to interpret omens which is forbidden by god's word yes it is so um, now, now we've got even more strikes against this woman. There's no reason to believe whatsoever 
that she's hearing from God, the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's very good reason based upon the substance of what she's saying to believe that she's actually deceived, self-deceived, or potentially even possessed or being influenced by a demon. Again, no joke. We continue. And if 2014 is going to be a year where God releases dreams and dream ideas, then we're going to have to walk right into the face of the things that we're most afraid of, and that's failure. What if this doesn't work out? What if I get disappointed? What if I invest my whole heart and you don't show up? I want to tell you that God always shows up. It doesn't always look the way we want it to look, but he always shows up. So I realized I had been nursing this place. I'd been hiding this place off that was so shut off from God that couldn't really access the life of who he is. Couldn't access. Okay, what does that sentence mean? So I have this part of my life that was completely cut off that couldn't access the life of who he is. The sentence is nonsense. It's not even a lucid thought. Why should I believe this is from God, the Holy Spirit? Now God is like just babbling and muttering as if, you know, he's a crazy person over in the corner of the local insane asylum drooling and mumbling to himself. I mean, that just, I mean, you know, listen, this is like going to a math class and have in hearing, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of, you know, grade school kids, you know, reciting their math lessons and going two plus two equals banana. Two plus four equals blue. Nine plus seven equals Titanic. You know, it, 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 this is nonsense. Another strike. This is not God, the Holy Spirit, who's speaking to this woman. And so I prayed a prayer. Lord, help me awaken the dreamer in me. And then I got up and I've been sort of cleaning and I was going through my pictures and I have a photo, a photo, I have a, a, a picture of the I have a dream speech. So it's like God was confirming every day. Another interpretation of an omen. Oh, she has, to, she has something that has to do with Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech, which in her mind provides some kind of sign or proof that this idea about releasing, igniting, sorry, igniting the dreamer within you was a direct revelation from God. I read the first sentence that I have a dream that one day the nation will rise up. And I thought, oh my God, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. Yeah, that's right. She said, OMG in her sermon, another strike against her. On a world he had no grit for. And I thought, you know, the only way we can, he had to have been connected to heaven. And so the only way for us to really connect to God's dreams is to connect to him. We have to give it a hundred percent of who we are. And there we go. That's all law, no gospel, you know, kind of get your dream by works. Um, Bad theology. She's clearly... Uh, completely ignorant of sound biblical doctrine and the proper distinction of law and gospel. I think Martin Luther King realized that the way we approach our dreams is that we invest in them daily. We say, today I'm going to choose to give the Lord my whole heart. I'm going to walk in the face of my fear And I'm going to dream and I'm going to step out and I'm going to let him use me in ways that I don't necessarily feel anointed or called or strong, 
but I'm going to do it because of who he is. 2014 is going to be a year where we're not going to be afraid to fail anymore. This is for Daystar, but this is for you individually. And I always ask the Lord when he gives me words like this, is this for everybody? So I don't have to give this blanket word and there's one person it's not for. (laughs) And he said, the word is for everybody here. That this is a year that he is wanting to awaken the dreamer in you. There are some whose dreams have died because you've waited a long time and those things that you've waited for haven't come to pass. And then there's some who just by nature of the family dynamics, you never grew up in a home where that was nurtured. That's very true for a lot of people. But you know, God is the ultimate creator. And if we are a part of who he is, if we are from him, we are creators. We are called to be creators. Whether you are called to be creators from the pulpit or in the business place or whatever mountain God has called you on. He has called you to be creative. He's called you to dream. So if you're not dreaming, apparently you're sinning. Oh, man. Because, you know, she's got this direct revelation from God. And and look at how she connects all these dots. Now, the funny thing is, is that um, I've heard similar messages in places that are not overtly charismatic in the sense where, you know, you have somebody prophetically getting up and claiming this is a direct revelation from God. This is uh, heart and soul of uh, of a lot of seeker-driven messages. Oh, God's creative, therefore you need to be creative and innovative. I've heard this type of sermon, um, almost an identical type of message from Ed Young at Fellowship uh, Church out there in, uh, in you know, the Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas area. But what we're going to do right now, we're actually going to pause and we're going to uh, pay some bills and we're going to come back and listen to the balance of the sermon. Again, modified format today, we're, we're going to compare and contrast like one of the ugliest sermons I've ever heard with one of the better, one of the best sermons I've heard. So um, we'll go ahead and do this. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. The balance of this first sermon we're reviewing today, releasing the dreamer within you. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy. Today we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, from the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation of the Bible. Here's what it says. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of bloggers, who warned you to flee from your mother's basement? Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Yeah! Hooray! That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could, uh, well, remove the wool that's been pulled over your eyes in charismatic churches from people who claim to be receiving direct revelations from God, and they're not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons, one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Yes, we upped the amount in order to 
help continue to meet our ever-expanding financial needs here at, at uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. So it's a great way to support us. If you're not already a crew member, go to we- uh, the, the website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on Join Our Crew. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, moving along, we're going to continue now with this thing that is supposedly a sermon uh, from uh, Daystar Church out there in Atlanta, Georgia, on uh, releasing the dreamer in you. Here we go. He's called you to bring his solutions into the world, into your family, into your marriages, to your children's lives. 2014 is a year where he is great, a supernatural grace to step out where we would not ordinarily step out. That's exciting, isn't it? I asked the Lord, why is it important for us to dream? I mean, even when I look in terms of healing ministry or so-so, God still did it. He still brought the inner healing ministry that I had dreams for. Um, with, with or without my help, because I had lost hope for it. Why is it so important for us to dream? And I think I mentioned the first one. He said, because I'm a creative God. And if you don't let that part of you be creative, then you can't really know who I am. You won't look for the supernatural solutions from heaven. Mm. Okay, so where in the Bible does it say, unless you release the creative side of you, that you can never really know what God is like? That's nowhere taught in Scripture. And yet she claims that God told her this directly. Is there any reason we should believe her? Not one. We continue. I started looking through scripture of all the ways he showed up and just blew people's minds beyond what they could imagine or think. Joshua and Joshua 10, when he stopped the sun, parting the Red Sea, um, manna from heaven, God gets excited. I think that's not supposed to be the exception to the rule. That's supposed to be the rule. I was, I was listening to um, Dr. Jim Richards, and he was talking about quantum physics. And if you're not familiar with that, means that just, um, it just means that inanimate matter behaves differently depending on whether or not it's being observed or who's observing it. And I mention that because 2014 is a year that if you can dream it, then you can see it and you can have expectations of God showing up in that place and showing you who you are, showing him who he is. The second thing, uh, when I asked him about why dreams are important, um, he said that when we dream, we're fully alive, we're fully awake. I started reading about... Uh, so where in the Bible did God reveal to Moses, any of the prophets, any of the apostles, or did Jesus ever say that dreaming is important because when you dream, you're fully alive? <clears throat> There's no such word in God's word. Why should we believe this woman is actually hearing from God? We continue. Natural, and do you know in, in the natural, when we dream, our emotions, everything is fully awake. 
we colors are awake. Um, our senses are awake. Our secondary muscles are awake. And so when we dream, it's like we're accessing all of who we are and we're connecting with him. When we dream, we connect to the supernatural power of God. It's not just creative, but it's, just, it's him. It's who, it's who he is. And where in the Bible does it say that when you dream, you connect to the supernatural power of God? Answer, it doesn't say that anywhere. Instead, Scripture warns us about false teachers and false prophets who chase after their dreams. We continue. I was looking at um, Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I know we've all heard that scripture, and we've all used that scripture. <laughs> I don't think making the heart sick means that we've waited a long time for something that hasn't come. I think the heart gets sick when we close our hearts off because we've waited so long that we don't connect with Him anymore, and we, the, we don't get that blood supply. We're not connected to Him, just like in the natural. Our hearts get sick when the blood flow is cut off. So hope deferred makes the heart sick means I've closed, you've closed off your heart. And God's wanting to open that place that, so that he can access who you are and who he is in you. It's true that when we dream big, that the disappointments can be bigger. That's a reality. It is a reality. But when we're connected to him, the disappointment seems so small compared to a life in him. I was looking at a picture I took of the Grand Canyon and I took it from a helicopter. I'm so excited about my picture. I had it framed and it's on my wall and I was looking at the picture and I started getting these butterflies in my stomach. (laughs) I was reminded of when I took the picture and I was looking out over this canyon that I couldn't see the end of it. It just seemed so fast. And the Lord said, your dreams are like that. He said, I just want you to go beyond even what you can see. I gave a word. Mm, So her dreams are just like her photograph of the Grand Canyon taken from a um, helicopter. And God told her this. Why should we believe she's hearing from God, the Holy Spirit? I have found not one reason at all, biblically, to believe that this woman is hearing from God at all. Someone last year that um, that 2013 was going to be a year of them launching out into the deep. And when I gave the word, I started having butterflies in my stomach because the Lord reminded me of all the times that I've done that. I got that for this word. And the Lord said, when you feel the butterflies in your stomach, just run right into it because it's him. It's him moving you beyond your comfort. So when you feel the butterflies in your stomach, you're supposed to run right into it. What does that mean? What on earth is this woman talking about? This, why would God, the Holy Spirit, say such a sentence that doesn't make any sense at all? The second part I think I mentioned was loving fiercely. When we have fear, we cannot love. And God is dealing with our fear this year. 
so that we can be a church, a body, a family that love each other fiercely. We have no grid for what that looks like, but we want it, right? We want to see, um, we want to see God. I want to see God's dreams realized through you. I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what um, God's hopes and desires looks like coming out of you. And that doesn't happen when we have fear. So today we're going to deal with fear. And it's not a, a prayer that you rebuke. You can't rebuke. I mean, you can rebuke the spirit of fear. <laughs> but it's just a lifestyle. It's a choice. We're going to choose to do it a different way this year. We're going to choose to follow after the Lord hard. And we don't always know what that's going to look like. And we don't always know what the end result will look like, just like when you dream. But God is calling a people to have heaven dreams and bring God solutions. If we can think of, if we can think it up, he can work it out. <laughs> and what does any of this mean? The, the church is called to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching all that Christ has said and commanded. Are we, are we really hearing anything about Jesus' sound biblical doctrine where God's word really says? Not at all. But she's exegeting her dreams. God wants to give his, his kids good gifts. He wants to show us who he is. And most of all, he wants us to see who we are. Mm. And where does it say this in the Bible? And if I really want to know about who God is and what he's like, shouldn't I be reading my Bible rather than listening to you? I mean, that just makes sense to me. We continue. Listening to a minister last night, and he said, um, if you're complaining about the enemy attack, I, I want you to picture your life like a, a, a football game. Buzz, you'll love this, like a football game. If you've got the ball... <laughs> then you're in, you're in charge, you're in control. So if everybody's running after you, if the enemy is attacking you, it's because you've got the ball. <laughs> if there's no enemy attack, then you don't have the ball. <laughs> you're doing something wrong. <laughs> okay, and the weird cackling demonic laugh is uh, really creeping me out. He said, when you're running with the ball, you're not looking at all the men around you who's t attacking you. You're looking at the end zone. <laughs> I missed the second part of the message. <laughs> if you have felt pressure this year, whether it be up against your families, your marriages, your children, and the workforce, if you felt pressure coming against you, it's because you've got the ball. And God is shifting our vision from, from being a people who are reactive, who are reacting to everything around us, and we're looking at the end zone because that's where the prize is. Not worried about what the enemy is doing. If he's doing something, that means I'm doing something right. If I get up on a sozo morning and I feel pressure, I'm thinking this is going to be a good day. There we go. What's a sozo morning? Where in the Bible does it talk about sozo mornings? It doesn't. This is nonsense. <laughs> this is going to be a good day because the enemy doesn't want me to do this. Right, Claire? Yeah. 
you got the ball. And so the thing is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to whine about what the enemy's doing? I'm going to whine about what our bosses are doing, what our coworkers are doing, what they're not doing, what they are doing. No, no. We have our eye on the prize. God has plans for us. And it really is time for us to wake up. Part of the dream. Now, I would agree. It is time for the folks there at Daystar to wake up. Wake up to the fact that they're being deceived. Wake up to the fact that this is not a message from God the Holy Spirit. Wake up to the fact that they need to repent and return to to the written word of God and get rid of these false prophets. They do need to wake up. The dreamer in us, as God is saying, wake up. That you already have everything that you need. The gifts are already in you. You don't need any more prophetic words. You've got the prophetic word. It's wake up. God loves you. He has given you everything that you need to do what you have to do. The gift's in you. The dream is in you. If you don't remember what the dream is, we're going to pray about that today. If you, if you feel like you're not a dreamer, just repent because you are. So if <clears throat> this is a message of repentance. Now, apparently, if, you're not, if you think you're not a dreamer, you need to repent because you are. Not repent of your sins. Repent of you not believing you're a dreamer. Uh-huh. Or you are a part of him. He is a creator. He created us. Read Genesis 1. He created us to look like him. And that doesn't mean that <clears throat> prophetically you see visions or you are a dreamer. But what it does mean is we are the solution. I know you've heard this before. But we are the solution to the world's problems. And if you're not dreaming, the world is. I am still waiting for somebody to make an umbrella that won't get me soaking wet when I get in the car. It's a challenge. (laughs) So we are the solution to the world's problems. Wow. Where in the Bible does it say that? It doesn't say that anywhere. This woman, I mean, this is, this is demonic, folks. This is blasphemously demonic, all coming disguised as a direct revelation from God. I mean, it's utter nonsense. We're not called to proclaim ourselves. The problem that everybody suffers from is that we're all, all of us, are born dead in trespasses and sins as a result of the rebellion of our first parents against God in the Garden of Eden. And we're all under the curse. And we need to be set free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil by the work of Christ. Jesus and him crucified and raised again from the grave on the third day is the solution to the world's problem, not us. Again, this is utterly, utterly blasphemous. Let's continue. I am challenging you. Release the dreamer. (laughs) If we're not going to do it, who will? It's time for us to be fierce about who we are. 
and step into our true identities. It's not about being perfect. It's not about always getting it right. But it is about staying close to him and being quick to say, oh, Lord, I missed it. Okay, let's do this again and get back up. So the word is wake up, release the dreamer. Put my glass on, make sure you guys are still awake. (laughs) I got excited this morning when I woke up and I saw that picture of the Grand Canyon. I got excited. I thought, I remember when we flew over, because we were in a helicopter, I remember thinking, if this canyon is this vast, how big is God? Sometimes we just need a reality check. We forget that he is the God that made the heaven and earth. We forget that he's bigger than our, our, the detours that we make or the mistakes that we make. We think, oh, I I forgot to do this. I didn't pray yesterday. I wonder if my destiny has been sidetracked. We are the first to beat up on ourselves. But I was driving here today and the the Lord said, I'm really tired of my kids beating up on each other. (laughs) He did. I'm really tired of it. And we are our worst enemies. We, We beat up on ourselves. So God told you he's tired of his kids beating up on each other. Yeah, so so God's basically in the driver's seat yelling back at the kids in the car, you know, in the back seat, knock it off, don't make me pull the car over. Mm-hmm. Right. On someone else. <laughs> All in the name of love or conforming or who knows? Who cares? But I am it took me a couple days to get excited. <laughs> I am excited. Because God is about to transform what the church looks like. And we need to hold loosely what we're used to so we can step into the new. I mean, look at the new church model. This was new for all of us. We've had to hold loosely what we thought church was supposed to look like. And embrace what God wants to do. So 2013 was a year of... Transition and change and rebuilding and restructuring. And there were times it was exciting. There was times it was scary. But I want to tell you, 2014 is not going to be like 13. And so if you are ready for what God's about to do, and you're ready for him to release the dreamer in you, raise your hand. Who didn't raise their hand? (laughs) All right. So I want to do, um, I love activations. I want to do an activation. But I want us to break up in groups. You want to do a what? You want to do an activation. Where is that taught in scripture? Yeah, you you know, to release the dreamer, you, you, you need to perform an activation. Where in the Bible does it talk about the the important doctrine of activation? This is ridiculous. And we're going to do some activations releasing the dreamer. If you can break up in groups of four, four or five, 
Okay. And if you've never, if, if this is your first time here, this is not going to be painful. <laughs> I mean, does your church practice activation? Notice they're not getting together to, uh, you know, partake of the Lord's Supper. Or, you know, they're going to get together in small little groups of four or five people in order for activation to take place. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Uh, <laughs> okay. So if you're if you're in your group, I want everybody to hold hands. <laughs> and I'm up here. <laughs> yeah, more of that demonic cackling going on. <laughs> hold hands. We're only everybody to hold hands. Sometimes the people in our lives see things over us that we don't see ourselves. And sometimes they can have faith and believe for things for us that we don't even believe. And so today we're going to release the body to release the dreamer in you. So I'm going to start you off. I want you to repeat after me. Lord, if I have held back my heart for fear of failure or for fear of you disappointing me or for fear of you not showing up, I repent. And today I'm re- yeah, no you no you're not notice you're not repenting of your sins oh fear of of not stepping out in my dreams to give you my whole heart I am ready to let go of the pain and the disappointment from the past and today I'm ready to step into what are you going to do in 2014? Father God, I give you permission to show me the face of my creative God. And I pray for the person to my right that they grab a hold of your purposes and your vision and your dreams and your hope. And I stand with them. And I will love them fiercely. 
And I pray for the person on my left. And so, Lord, I just, I speak a release over them to step into all that you have for them. I say, go. I say, awake. I call out the dreamer in you. And I give you permission to fail. I give you permission to make mistakes. I give you permission to trust and love God fiercely enough to know that he is in charge. And I pray for myself. Heart, I give you permission to give and receive love fiercely. I give you permission to hope and dream again in Jesus name. And my neighbor to the right, say in my neighbor to the, in my neighbor to the right, I give you permission to call out the dreamer in me when you see me going backwards. Neighbor to the left. I give you permission <laughs> to call out the hope and the passion that God has put in me when you see me going backwards. Today I declare <laughs> that in 2014, it's not going to be like it was in the past. That you were doing a new thing. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so, Lord, as a church, we bless you. All right, that's as far as I can go. So there you go. Um, exegeting a prophetic word, um, complete with a uh, activation ceremony at the end. That was Monica Mitchell of Daystar Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, strange fire indeed. Absolutely strange fire. That had nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And what we're going to do, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to listen to a very good sermon. And um, the contrast should really, really just really stick out. But um, let me go ahead and do this. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward sign Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We'll be reviewing a good sermon to contrast with what it is that you've just heard. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Yeah! Hooray! That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted new teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. (laughs) Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. Oh, thanks. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This is our normal sermon review slot. And today we're going to be listening to a good sermon. Man, we're going to need it after that. And the whole point here is to contrast what it is that you heard that passes off as preaching in many congregations across the country and the world as compared to what biblical preaching is according to what God has commanded pastors to be doing, what that sounds like. So let's cue up our good sermon review music. Here we go. The 
good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church of Blessing in Karat, Thailand. No joke. The sermon is delivered by Pastor Corey Klein, who is a missionary pastor helping out with two different congregations in Karat in Thailand. Corey has done his homework, and what you're going to hear in this sermon is brilliant. He's going to be preaching on the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and I will be interrupting this sermon to point out everything that he's doing right. And what you're going to hear, you're actually going to hear from God the Holy Spirit in the sermon, even though Corey is making no claims to receiving direct, intuitive revelation from God. Instead, he has clearly done his homework and done the job of a pastor and studied and showed himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle God's word. You're going to hear law preached right in a way that convicts you of your sin, and you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear God's word rightly preached, and Corey's going to demonstrate to you that he is qualified to actually be a pastor, as somebody who actually does his homework and makes sure that he understands the biblical text and exegetes it correctly before he preaches it. So let me go ahead and kill the music, although I like this part. And going to kill it. Here we go. So without any further ado, here is Corey Klein from Church of uh, of Blessing in Karat, Thailand, and his sermon, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Here we go. Fulfilled the law. So we start sermon. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone. And here we go. Some light. <laughs> uh... If you remember my last sermon, I shared with you the story of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what good deed he must do to earn eternal life. And Jesus pointed him to the Ten Commandments. But this young man thought he had already fulfilled the law. So he asked Jesus what he still lacked. He was told to sell all he possessed and to give it to the poor. And then to come follow Jesus. Instead of doing what he was told, he went away sorrowful. You see, this man was trusting in his own efforts to earn for himself eternal life. And he was convinced he could achieve it. But Jesus tells his disciples that it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples were astonished by this saying. And they asked, who then can be saved? Jesus gives us this wonderful answer. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Salvation comes to us by the grace of God. Man cannot save himself. But God must be the one who saves. And this salvation comes to all who put their trust in the work of Christ on the cross, rather than their own good deeds. Yet even with this statement, we still see Peter trying to display what he and the other disciples have left behind to follow Jesus. Peter was still thinking about his own good deeds. This leads Jesus to share a new parable, which will be our passage for today. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Okay, now I'm going to pause there for a second and point out what he's doing. He understands that God's word, the pericope that he's preaching from, exists in connection with the passage that he preached on previously. And that you can't understand what's going on in the text that he's preaching from without understanding its fuller context. Remember our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. Context, context, context. Corey here is paying very close attention to that rule regarding rightly handling God's word and has reminded his parishioners of what he previously preached in the text immediately preceding the one that he's preaching on so that he can show them that they all work together as a unit. Brilliant move on his part and very important for him to faithfully preach the text that he's preaching on. We continue. Again with the last verse in this chapter, verse 30. And we'll read up to verse 16 in chapter 20. But first, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word and that we can trust it. We come to you today knowing that we are sinners. We pray that you would convict us of our sin. But that you would also comfort us with your gospel message that you would direct our hearts and our minds to Jesus. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 19, verse 30, to chapter 20, verse 16. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day, in the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye bad because I am good? So the last will be first. In the first, last. 
Okay, pause. Notice what he's doing here. We're not getting five verses ripped from their context from disparate parts of you know the Bible. No. What we're getting here is a full reading of a particular text with a preface that hooked us back into the bigger context. And so he's carefully working his way through and preaching the text. The text is going to dictate the message that he's going to bring to his parishioners, which is exactly what it should be doing. Keep this in mind, that Christians are ambassadors, and ambassadors never make policy. They only announce it, okay? So he's being a good ambassador, knowing that Jesus is king. Jesus has given him the message to proclaim. He's going to proclaim that message. And as we listen to this, it's going to be very clear that he has taken his time to do his homework to make sure he rightly understood the message he was given from King Jesus to proclaim. So already, I mean, this has the perfect setup for being a great sermon. And already, we've already heard an allusion to the proper distinction of law and gospel and the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, which means he's going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture to make sure he rightly handles this text, because Scripture is clear in the in its, in its didactic portions that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone, not by anything that we've done. And that then comes into play in how he's going to handle this text. We continue. This passage is a hard one for many to swallow. It grates against a sense of what we consider fair and right. A worker is worth his wages. That's biblical, right? When we put in when we put in the effort, shouldn't we get a fair wage? And if I work more than the next guy, shouldn't I get paid more? But this goes beyond money, doesn't it? Aren't there times where we just want recognition for the work that we've done? We just want our work to get noticed. Hey, everyone, look at what I did. Yet all too often we see people who are practically doing nothing, reaping all the rewards. Maybe they are the boss's favorite. Maybe they have some type of family connection that they use to their own advantage. You see them doing nothing all day, but they get paid the same as you. Or even worse, they get paid more than you. They may even be your boss. Yet Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven in a similar light. Let's look at our passage again. Okay, now before we do that, before we look at that passage again, let me point out what he did there. He, you know, because understand a parable uses earthly metaphors to teach something to us about the kingdom of God, which we don't exactly understand. So the, the idea behind, uh, behind a parable is that there is a parallel. And what he's done, what Corey's done here, is taken the time to help us relate to the parallel, okay? The, the earthly metaphor, which is supposed to teach us something about the kingdom of God. And in so doing, he's reminded, of, reminded all of us of how we all naturally think according to the thinking of the world. But Jesus isn't proclaiming the thinking of the world here or the economy of the world. 
He's trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God. Corey knows this, and he's going to help us understand it. And there's a great punchline at the end of the sermon. So what we'll do, what he's going to do now is now he's he's read the text, introed the text by way of helping us understand how the world thinks and how we all naturally thinks, how we all naturally thinks, think. And now he's going to go back and carefully and methodically work his way way slowly through the text and pointing out important things along the way so that we get a proper understanding of this parable and what it's teaching us about the kingdom of God. We continue. It's trying to communicate to us. Look at verses 1 and 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Here we see a wealthy master who hires workers for his vineyard. And he goes out in search of day laborers. These day laborers, they're workers who go daily into the marketplace and search for employment. They were poor because they had no consistent income. To get chosen to work was really a blessing in their lives because they could earn enough money that day to provide for themselves and their family. In our story, we see that they have agreed to work for one denarius, which is a day's wage. This is fair and right. No one party is taken advantage of the other. Instead, it is a perfectly just situation. Let's read further, verses 3 to 7. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. For whatever reason, the master goes out at different parts of the day to hire more workers. We see him going at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and finally the eleventh. Back then, a normal workday started at 6 a.m. And it finished at 6 p.m. That's a 12-hour period of time. And we see five groups of people here. There are some who work the full day. They work 12 hours. Some work nine. Some work six. Some work three. And then there's this last group. And they worked only one hour of the day. Again, remember, these workers are poor. And they will take whatever they can get. For the master to hire them... This is a blessing not only to them, but also to their family. In the ancient world, there's this concept of a patron-client relationship. And this story describes this type of relationship. A patron was usually a wealthy or a powerful person who would take on clients, helping them with their needs. And usually this included providing them with food to eat and money to help them out. And often, this took the form of providing some type of work for them as well, so that they wouldn't feel the shame 
of a beggar. In return, it was common practice for these clients to sing the praises of their patron. They would go and tell the city about this patron's generosity. The patron's name would gain recognition throughout the land, giving them higher standing in the community. This type of praise was the real form of work that clients could do to show their gratitude for their patron. We see this practice in Thailand today as well. When a wealthy person gives a generous donation to a school or to an orphanage, often we'll see the children holding a special day to honor that person. This master of the vineyard is fulfilling the role of a patron. He is a patron to these workers, and they are his clients. He is showing favor to these people by choosing them to work in his vineyard. It is because of his mercy and kindness that they will get paid that day. Okay, I'm going to pause. I want to point something out here. Corey is doing a fantastic job here in rightly handling this parable, and here's one of the reasons why. Because ask yourself the question, who is Jesus in this parable? Jesus is the guy who owns the vineyard. And so Corey knows that this is a right, the right way of understanding this parable. And so he, by way of kind of you know explaining the generosity, the mercy, the grace, the kindness of the landowner, he is also describing the mercy, the grace, the kindness of Jesus, because Jesus is hiding in this parable behind the mask of the landowner. And Corey is helping us see those great attributes of Christ and his mercy and his love and his generosity by giving such praise and adulation to the landowner. Now, in the 21st century, uh, you know, you might easily miss that. Why? Because, well, we've come through the 20th century where, you know, we've overthrown the aristocracy and we've gotten rid of the landowner class and all of those people who in their in their highfalutin, high-class world pressing the, the masses and the poor and stuff like that. And it's really easy for us in our day and age to look with contempt upon this landowner guy and just think of him as, as just an, another employer, you know, another you know, guy who owns a business. But it's a lot more than that when you understand the cultural context of the day and the time. And it's important because in understanding those details historically, it helps us understand something very profound about Jesus. And Corey knows this. And that this is the reason why he's taking the time to really sing the praises of the landowner and to paint him in such a positive light. Because Corey knows that Jesus is the one hiding behind that mask of the landowner in this parable. But we continue. People whom he finds in the 11th hour couldn't get anyone else to hire them. This master shows favor to them as well by offering them work. Let's see what happens next. Verses 8 to 10. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. 
The workday is finished, and it's time for the workers to receive what they have earned. Here's where Jesus adds a twist to his story. The master of the vineyard pays the workers who came last first. And not only that, but they receive a full day's wage for working only a single hour. When the workers who came earlier see this, they begin to think to themselves that they will get paid more. I mean, that's only fair, right? Yet that doesn't happen. Everyone gets paid the same wage. Everyone gets one denarius. Let's see how the workers react to this. Verses 11 and 12. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Sure enough, they're grumbling. It's not fair. I've heard that enough times in my life. And from a worldly point of view, they have every right to be complaining. Labor unions have been formed in the name of fairness. Laws have been passed to prevent such things from happening. Favoritism can no longer be practiced, or the government is going to crack down on you. This is the justice of our world. But is this true justice? Or is something deeper going on in the hearts of these workers? The truth of the matter is that these people who have been working all day long, they have broken the Tenth Commandment. Whoa, I bet you didn't see that coming. That's right. Corey just played the sin card, and he just referenced the Ten Commandments. Whoa. So now he's throwing down, and he's going to use God's law lawfully in order to point out their sin and by extension point out my sin and your sin and the sin of everybody listening now. And this, you bet you didn't see it coming, but we continue. Exodus 20, verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The workers who came first have earned the same as the workers who came last. And now they have coveted what their neighbors have. This is the way our hearts and minds work, isn't it? When we see things other people, other people have and desire them for ourselves, we can't stand it when others have what we want. Think about your own life. How often do you find yourself saying, that's not fair? How often do you think to yourself, why him or why her or why not me? Yeah, that's right. He's taking the sin of these miserable laborers who are complaining and grumbling about the kindness and mercy of the the landowner and he's 
drawing the circle around us as being guilty of the exact same sin. And that's right. All of us are guilty of this. We continue. We want everything in life to be fair, but it's not. We want justice, especially when it concerns righting the wrongs that have been done to us. But life just doesn't work that way. And so instead, we grumble and we complain. How often do you find yourself thinking, God never blesses me, or God just doesn't care about me? This is what the workers are doing. They grumble at the master who showed them favor. We have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Rather than being thankful and proclaiming the, the praises of a generous patron, they slander him instead, and they have become ungrateful clients. And what's more, they see themselves as more worthy than the other workers. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. Brothers and sisters, this is pride. They are lifting themselves up by comparing their work against others. Isn't this exactly what Peter did? When he compared all that he left behind to follow Jesus to that rich young ruler. But all too often, we do the same thing. Do you compare yourself with others? Do you think of others as inferior to you? This is a dangerous game, one in which can lead to a proud heart and ultimately to God's judgment. Wow. So now he's named three sins. Um, coveting, slander, or you know, lying against your neighbor, and pride. Oh, man. And this is the right way to preach God's law. Preach God's law to kill the old Adam. Preach God's law to show the old Adam that he stands condemned before God. To strip away your fig leaves of your self-righteousness. And to leave you so that the only thing you have is nothing. And you realize that you are not moral. You are not good. You are a spiritual beggar in need of a savior. This is what the law is intended to do. And Corey here is preaching God's law correctly to convict us of our sins. And trust me, you're going to hear the gospel before this is finished. But we continue. Let's see how the owner responds to this. Matthew 20, verses 13 through 15. Matthew 20, verses 13 to 15. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I, cho I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or is your eye bad because I am good? Okay, now I'm going to pause here. This Where, where Corey then takes this next segment, he's going to demonstrate that he has done his homework. And it's going to hinge on a proper understanding of the word friend. Corey here has taken the time to check the original languages 
check the commentaries, and make sure that he understands what's going on here in the words of the landowner when he says to his the grumbling, slanderous uh, laborers, when he says to them, friend. And, he's, and what Corey's going to tell you here is something you probably have never heard before. And the reason why you've probably never heard it is, well, you may not have a pastor who's capable of working in the original languages, or worse, can and doesn't, and as a result of it, may have missed this important little uh, factoid about the word friend. And th- properly understanding the word friend unlocks the rest of the parable. We continue. God is just. The only one in this story who receives any type of injustice is the owner of the vineyard when he is slandered by these workers. And notice what the master calls one of them. He calls him friend. In the Greek, there are two distinct words that are interpreted friend in English. There's a word philos, which Jesus uses to describe his disciples in John 15, 15. Philos carries the same meaning we would use today, such as a companion or a close associate. But the word used in this parable is not philos. It's hetaire. The meaning of hetaire is quite different. It is someone who seems to be a friend, but really is an imposter for self-gain. Hetaire is used only three times in the New Testament. First is in our parable today. The second comes in a parable of the wedding feast. When a man entered the feast without a wedding garment, the king refers to him as friend or hitare. And the last place we see this word used is in the garden when Jesus greets Judas. Jesus calls him friend or hitare. So when we see Jesus using this word, it is spoken in irony. He says friend but means betrayer. These workers posed as friends to the master when he had something to provide for them. But they showed their duplicity and their selfishness when they felt they were not treated fairly. But the master is just. He pays them exactly what they agreed to work for. There is no injustice on his part. Then the master ends his conversation with this little saying, Or is your eye bad because I am good? This could also be translated, Or is your eye envious because I am generous? These workers have seen the grace that the master gave to the latecomers, and they can't stand it. Remember the setup to the story is a rich young ruler who wanted to earn eternal life. Again, we see the dichotomy between the religion of works and the religion of grace. These workers who came early wanted to earn their salvation. They couldn't stand the idea of grace. But the late workers, they need to rely on the mercy of their master to survive. So we see justice and mercy as the economy of God's kingdom. To those relying on their works to save them, God will be just. 
He will judge them by what they have done. And because of their sins, their reward will be eternal punishment in the lake of fire. But for those who know that they cannot make it on their own, but they need a patron to look out for them, they will find that patron in Jesus. Jesus will show them mercy and grace. Jesus will give them a full day's wage for their little work. He can do this because He has already done the work for us on the cross. Jesus lived a life in full obedience to the law. He died for your sins. He took upon Himself your punishment. You see, God doesn't need our good works. This is the economy of the kingdom. You are a beggar. But God chose you for eternal life. He gives you dignity by giving you work in his kingdom. Look to Jesus. He is a patron who is worthy of all of our praise. Stop trying to earn for yourself eternal life. But trust in the one who can give it to you. He will come to you even at the 11th hour. So the last will be first, and the first last. Let us pray. Wow. I mean, talk about turning the tables. And artfully done, brilliantly done. There's the gospel for us. We're not those day laborers that were hired and demand the wage. No, I'm that guy who was hired at the 11th hour. So are you. Oh, man, this is brilliant. And it's comforting. There we've had the law expose our sin, sins of pride, slander, of coveting. Slander against God and His mercy and His grace. Now we have the gospel right there for us, succinct, to the point, comforting, true. This is a sound sermon. This is a sermon delivered by a man who's taken the time to study God's Word and make sure that he handles it correctly, properly handling and distinguishing between law and gospel sin and grace, and preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let's hear his prayer. Father God, we come to you right now. We are lowly in heart, lowly in spirit. We have nothing to offer you because we are sinful, sinful people. Lord, we trust in you. In the work that you've done, Lord, we ask for you to be our patron, to look out for us, to give us dignity when in reality we are just beggars. Lord, you provide for our every need. You look out for us every day. And you have given us the overwhelming gift of eternal life through the death of your Son on the cross. We are so grateful to that. Lord, help us to be like these latecomers. Though we do little work, you provide us with so much. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Amen. Ah, man. You see the difference? One sermon that I played today was demonic. One sermon that I played today was Christian. And the reason it was Christian is because it preached Christ. One sermon was filled with delusions, you know, so-called dreams, you know, which were just nonsense. This is God's word, rightly handled, soberly preached, correctly divided between law and gospel, and Christ exalted, Christ glorified, Christ's mercy and grace held out for beggar sinners like me and like you. The contrast couldn't be sharper. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.